As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello everybody, I'm Danny Kelly. I'm your host for The View from the Lane, the Athletics uh, Tottenham Hotspur podcast. I hope you're starting to realise it's the best Tottenham Hotspur podcast with all due respect uh, to our rivals. On the show with me today are The Athletics, Charlie Eccleshare and James Moore, who are both at the game between Spurs and Chelsea, which we'll get on to very, very soon. It is a hydra-headed amount of things that we've got to discuss about that game. We'll do that at length a little later in the show, but I think we should start today by remembering what you could call a club legend, but in fact, he is one of the great legends of English football. Jimmy Greaves passed away this weekend at the age of 81. Of course, the television, the radio was absolutely full of it, and tributes were paid at the stadium before the game yesterday. Charlie, you were there. Tell us about the atmosphere inside the ground. Yeah, I mean, it was it was very celebratory, I'd say more than uh, mournful, which, you know, I think is how it should be. And before the game... You know, a number of Tottenham legends came out and, you know, kind of paid their tributes. Uh, there was lots going on. You know, there were kind of people being interviewed before the game on the big screen and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I mean, I, th- that was certainly the impression um, from kind of where we were in the press seats. But I don't know, James, was that kind of echoed kind of around the ground? Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, it's quite fitting to be playing Chelsea, you know, on that day. It's not often that... Uh, you, you want Spurs mm. to be playing against Chelsea. You want Chelsea fans to be in the stadium. But um, I think it, it did seem quite suitable that it was the, the two sides that he probably represented with the most distinction. I know, you know, West Ham fans may claim he did wear well there too and obviously was at Milan and Barnet and wherever else. But I think Spurs and Chelsea would be the two teams he'll be remembered most fondly um, for playing for. Uh, and, and yeah, the, the atmosphere was very... Uh, uh, it, it, respectful, but also you know a celebration rather than as you say too too sorrowful. And I mean uh, you know uh, <laughs> there are so many references to his goal scoring record, and it is uh, it is absolutely incredible that goal scoring record. And we talk about Kane's goal scoring record, but it really puts that into the shadows. It, it's, it's a ludicrous number of goals. Because I happen to have seen him play and to saw his television career, you're both too young probably even to remember his television career. Let me just yeah. let me just say I mean I was asked many times on 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 the radio yesterday to compare him to a modern player, and I said it's just not possible. There's nobody around who was 
like him. The thing I said was, think about this. In an era of mud pitches and people being allowed to break your leg if they wanted to, um, his goal-scoring record is bettered only in the big five leagues in Europe by Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi. And I don't mean in terms of goals per minute, actual goals stuck in the net. He's still the third highest goal scorer across the big European leagues. And he did all that when it was almost impossible to play proper football at times. Um, and when people say to me, what kind of player was he? I said he was supernatural. He just had the skill and the innate nous, intelligence we call it nowadays, whatever was required in the situation to get the ball past his opponent into the net, he did that with the exception of physically fighting with them because that was no part of Jimmy's plan. We talk about his goal scoring record. He is the leading goal scorer in the top level of English football with 357 goals. There are three more from the dim and distant past. And then you get to Alan Shearer, 283. That is 74 goals less than Greaves got. That is 20% less goals than Greaves got. And Greaves was retired at 31. His record is extraordinary. He was an extraordinary player. He's the best teenage player. The only, I mean, he'd scored 100 goals as a teenager at Chelsea. I suppose Rooney's impact could be compared in the modern era. And I guess the other thing I'd say about him, because he was such an engaging character, he went on to have a second career. I was talking to people one generation down from me who didn't remember him as a footballer, but remembered Saint and Greasy, where he loosened up the way you could talk about the game. And he was brilliant at it. Before we get underway, can yes. we just talk about last week's rugby bet, which is now null and void? We well, both we, drew. We both drew, so yeah. that's null and void. So we're going to have to have a little wager on today's boat race, I think, Saint. Uh, but I went to neither of those uh, universities. Well, neither, neither did I, but I, I, I'm going to go for Cambridge. You, you'll have to go for Oxford, because I, I can't go into Cambridge on Monday yeah. and lecture <laughs> the lads on advanced <laughs> physics. And, um, you know, okay. give me a load of... So I'm Oxford. You're I'm Oxford, Oxford. Oh, I'm Cambridge. And what a strange sport it is, isn't it? The winners dipping their cocks in the river afterwards. It's yeah, a strange old right. sport. The match is off today. Yeah. Only one up in Scotland there, Clyde and Patty. One last bit of personal stuff, and I put it on Twitter, so, but it's worth repeating. I was so devoted to him as a mid-teenager, sort of 14, my parents were obsessed with education, so we used to go to bed about 7 o'clock in the evening so I could be ready for school. 10 o'clock one evening, my father came up to the room and the only time he ever did this, I don't think he would have woken me up, the house was on fire. He woke me up to tell me that Jimmy Greaves had been transferred to West Ham because he was so afraid of my reaction if I <laughs> found out at school with some <laughs> random piece of information. The problem as always is to convert it into the modern world, but take my, uh, take my word for it as someone who saw it with my own eyes. The statistics don't lie. He is the greatest ever English goal scorer and he's the greatest ever British goal scorer and he's the greatest goal scorer of his era and all the rest of that. And I was so glad that people applauded, you know, and and did all that because the danger is with particularly, not the athletic, of course, but with the, with the sky coverage, which only covers the Premier League era, that people like himself are going to get written out of history and I don't want that to happen. But I think, uh, particularly looking at you, James, with your Spurs sports hat on, we all know, because Kane keeps talking about him and stuff, we all know what he meant to the club. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I, as a younger fan, it's, it's like you see his name in the history books and that number of goals, and it just seems like a totally impossible number. And it just kind of gives them this almost sort of Roy of the Rovers 
feel like because he's from like another generation you know i, I don't know you say you've mm. seen him play so I, you know i'm not i'm not trying to kind of age you too much no 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 you don't have to it, it's a fact he was just fi- just finishing his spurs and i was just starting to go i feel glad that i'm joined to him you know he's always kind of had this slightly mythical sense to it, i guess to me and i, I suspect most fans of my generation mm. i suppose younger as yeah. well just, he feels like like a sort of almost otherworldly figure in a footballing sense mm. that it, I, I guess maybe for me because his tv career was slightly before I have sort of vague memories of sort of late 80s, early 90s. I don't really remember watching no. like Saint and Griefsy. No. I mean, you wouldn't really at that age. No. Um, so yeah, it is. He's, he's always been someone like incredibly special to me as a fan, even though I never saw him play or, or watched him on TV, just because his, his status is just so is just so lofty. And the way people talk about him, as you say, people like yourself who did see him play. And, you know, you, you saw Martin Chivers on the pitch at halftime yesterday talking about the way he sort of floated across the turf. Mm. And like... I think if we looked just at that number of goals, you'd maybe there'd be a sort of misconception that he was just a sort of a penalty box plunderer rather than a guy who was like a really elegant player. In the goals you see him, that they put up on the big screen that you see him score, him sort of weaving his way between loads of defenders and then beating the goalkeeper. He was a, an incredible player. And you mentioned Messi and Ronaldo purely in terms of the numbers, mm. but I mean, actually, in terms of his approach to the game, some of those goals you see him score in those montages are, are almost Messi-esque, aren't they? We, we were talking about this just before the game, um, Jack and I, and he was saying he'd been watching a bunch of clips earlier in the day. And, and sometimes you can watch players from other eras and it, and it doesn't quite translate. Maybe it's the footage or whatever. It looks a bit slow sure. or whatever. Sure. Not the case with Jimmy Greaves, where it, even though, as you say, the pictures were as they were, the footage is a bit grainy. He, a bit like George Best, it still stands up and, you know, still looks as James the word James is there otherworldly like it, it does and I remember talking to Steve Perryman about it and he's saying echoing some of you know the, the words you've used that he glided across the pitch and you think of the pitches he was playing on you know the the tackles that were allowed and for that to be possible is is yeah is extraordinary you have to remember his cultural importance as well to working class boys growing up in the 60s however young they were the Beatles and George Best and Bobby Moore and Jimmy Greaves were cultural icons. They showed that you it, it was a working class that was no longer just going to be in the background grinding away in factories and, frankly, getting obliterated in wars. They were male working class icons, and he was definitely one of them. His England goal-scoring record, 44 and 57, um, he is not the most goals per minute. That is Nat Loftus, but he, of course, only played 30 times for England. The only player um, who's anywhere near him is Harry Kane. So mm. we'll see. Yeah. Uh, that all, all Jimmy Greasy's records are within reach of Harry Kane, provided he has a better afternoon perhaps than he did at White Hart Lane at the weekend. And we'll go next, I think. Um, and thank you for indulging me in my memories of Jimmy Greaves as well. But uh, we'll go next, bang up to date, and Spurs' is heavy on paper. How was it on the, in the pitch? Defeat against Chelsea at the weekend. Hello, I'm Mark Chapman. This is what we've got planned for you across the Athletic Podcast Network this season. The Ornstein and Chapman podcast has been rebranded as the Athletic Football Podcast. We'll release four episodes across the week as our journalists bring you the very best insights into the biggest stories in football and the business of sport. Michael Cox will continue to bring you the smartest analysis of all the big games in the Athletic Football Tactics podcast. Adam Hurry will now host two episodes of the Football Clichés podcast every single week with his usual take on the game. There's a brand new Athletic FPL podcast with our fantasy football expert, 
the FPL General, giving you all the advice you need to stay ahead of your mates and top of the FPL rankings. And the Athletic Podcast Network is also home now to host of club-specific shows, some of which are going to be releasing multiple episodes every week. And we're now your destination, don't forget, for the Totally Football Show with James Richardson and the Totally Football League Show. And that is it. We can't fit any more in. All you've got to do is search for The Athletic in your podcast provider of choice or go to our podcast section on The Athletic app. Not surprisingly, with all of the stuff that I've just mentioned, The Athletic is now the world's biggest football podcast network. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Well, after all the tributes had been paid to uh, Jimmy Greaves, there was an actual football match breaking out against two of the two teams that he, for where he is a legend, Spurs and Chelsea. On paper, of course, nil three looks terrible for Spurs. How terrible was it, Charlie? First half, good. Second half, not so good, to quote Sven at some point. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a hard one, isn't it? Because... I do think the first half was encouraging and obviously that can be slapped down by the fact they lost 3-0. I don't think anyone suggests... I don't think by saying you think the first half was was okay and, and quite um, promising in some ways means you're you're absolving uh, the team from what happened in the second half. Clearly losing 3-0 to a loathed rival is not you know the time to be taking lots of positives. But I thought that was at least... At least you could see what they were trying to do in the first half. And, and you know... <laughs> They are not going to Spurs are not going to play many teams at that level over the course of the season. Chelsea are an extremely good side. They've just won the Champions League. Their yeah. bench is absurd. I mean, we saw they were able to bring on Kante to completely change the game at half time. If they needed someone else, they had Hudson Odoi, they had Werner, they had Ziyech, they had James, they had Chilwell. This is uh, this is ludicrous. Like their their level is is just really really strong. And you know, I was saying to you before, it's. You never, you never want to say this because it sounds really defeatist, but they are a better team right now. You, I don't think many Spurs fans would dispute this. And so, what you're asking for is that they give it a go, and that they try and you know at least attack this Chelsea team. And they did that in the first half. I thought. I think they, you know, they had some promising moments. Then second half, it it fell apart, and Chelsea just came at them like a train to start the second half and overwhelmed them. And from there, there was no way back. And, you know, that ultimately, it, it, it's really disappointing because of the result and the way that the second half panned out. I do wonder whether with the, with the benefit of hindsight, that first half performance, maybe we, we thought was good because it was better than what we had expected. Yeah. Like, I think most people went into that game expecting Spurs to get a real shellacking from the off. 
And they kind of gave as good as they got in the first half, as you say. And I mean, I think if you look back at it, they didn't have loads of chances in no. the first half. It wasn't like, you know, they came flying out of the traps and went at Chelsea. You know, they had the ball in the attacking third, probably, in the first sort of 15 minutes. But it wasn't like they were peppering Kepa's goal with shots. I can't really think of... Did he have to make a save? I can't really think he had to make a decent save. He had to come out to Son. He came out to Son. There was speak, Son, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's I mean, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Son and Regulon, those are good openings. And I think yeah. you're right. They, I mean, yeah. You, yeah, that's it true. It would be exaggerating to say they were, you know, absolutely all over them. But very few teams will create many chances against Chelsea. They are so, so good. They concede so few goals that, you know, as a performance, as a first half performance goes, I think it was not far off the kind of best case scenario, given what we've seen before in the previous few weeks from a yeah. creativity perspective. I'll put it to you that it was the best they've played this season. I think it was. I mean, maybe City. It's a low bar though, isn't it, really? Yeah, I mean, it I, is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that, that is, that, that's fair. I mean, maybe this is a bit unfair on, uh, on Nuno, but I do wonder the extent to which they kind of stumbled into that because I think the expectation would have been for Kante to have started. I know he's missed matches, but I think uh, that Tuchel had talked about him having been, as having been back in training. And I think the expectation was that he was going to start. And obviously he was on the bench. And he was the player who came on and changed it. You know, he, he came on from Mount and played in a, uh, I guess his starting position was slightly deeper. And whereas Mount was kind of floating around, not really able to affect the game in the first half, Kante, as we saw him, particularly in that first kind of 15 minutes of the second half, was on the ball a lot driving forward, you know, in making interceptions as he always does, is very heavily involved. And it wasn't really until Spurs got skip on at 2-0 that it felt like they got a little bit more of a handle on him. And that does make me wonder whether whether they kind of stumbled into being good in the first half. I don't know, maybe you think, I'd be interested to hear what you think of that, because I think maybe it's a bit harsh, but I do think that might be what happened. If you want to play on the front foot, you have to have forward-looking players. And Spurs certainly had those on the pitch. I mean, it was an extraordinarily attacking lineup to play... Um, against the current yeah. champions of Europe, um, and for thirty minutes, thirty-five minutes, they gave as good as they got. I got some issues with the individuals. This could be tiredness. I don't know. Giovanni Lo Celso. I watched the Copa America with great interest. The triangles he made with Angel Di Maria and Lionel Messi, admittedly better players than he's currently playing with, were a delight to see. In the Premier League, am I am I missing something? Is he getting knocked off the ball? Does he need to? muscle up or as it was the case with Modric when he found his first six months difficult does he need to find a way to play a yard away from the play the players marking which Modric successfully did well that was definitely a big issue yesterday with the in the lead up to the second goal wasn't it that Lo got brushed off the ball and I was talking about this with James earlier that he was definitely someone who it felt like was a bit of a lightning rod for criticism I think fans were a bit frustrated with him yesterday, but also this is a broader issue that, you know, he's now in his third season. Mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of supporters, there are question marks over him, what he does, what his best position is. I mean, if you're going to play with Kane in a withdrawn role, that works if you've got Son and one other, be it Mora, be it Bergvine, to run beyond him to stretch the defence. Mm-hmm. So he's got someone to find. The problem was yesterday, he's dropping deep. Son's, Son's still making runs, of course he is, but they, I don't think he was fully fit. But then you've got Lo Celso as the other forward who, that's not his game. He's not going to be charging beyond defenders. He doesn't have the pace to do that. So he's kind of dropping as well. And, and that created an issue. Um, but does Lo Celso need to be more press resistant? I mean, possibly. That's more in Dombele's game. And I think to be fair to Lo Celso, he can do that. I don't think he was fully fit yesterday. or you know. And again, you can say, you know, is that his fault for going off and playing with Argentina? We've kind of been over that. But 
I think, you know, he... And, and that was the, the the hard thing for Spurs was that you're already massively at a disadvantage against Chelsea because of, you know, the relative squads. You know, you looked at the two benches yesterday and what did Spurs have to bring on to change the game? I mean, Brian Hill, who's a hugely exciting one for the future, but has barely played in the Premier League. And from an attacking point of view, you had Dane Scarlett, who, again, is a kid. Yeah. They've got all the options they had. And not only did they not have much off the bench, Spurs, they also had Ndombele, Lo Celso, Son, Romero in various forms of coming back Dyer. from an injury, Eric Dyer. So, look, these aren't excuses, but I think it's just trying to find an explanation. Romero and Lo Celso aren't coming back from injury, though, are they? They've been training, they've been training for the last 10 days. Okay, maybe they're not quite match sharp. But they should be fit enough to play 90 minutes, right? Yeah, but if you think how much is... If we think, like, how precise and, you know, uh, well thought out training and everything is, especially for a manager like Nuno, like, that is how Nuno has got to where he is, by having training sessions that he thinks are world-class and exceptional. He puts all his energies into training. To suddenly take two players out of that, they're not doing all the same work. I think that is going to have an effect on their performance. But then is it is it not mad then to play those two players in that game? Like you've got Sanchez who at least has trained more under Nuno before through preseason and played the first few league games. And, and I know in a different player and people might not like this, but Skip, who has done reasonably well up to this point and obviously was was uh, in training last week too, the whole way through the week, would it not have made more sense to have played those two players? I don't know. Have you then played Ndombele further forward maybe? I don't know. Yeah, possibly. I mean, I, but I think it's... There are upsides and downsides to both. And had he played a more defensive midfield and then they hadn't had anything moving forward and weren't able to play between the lines, they also the fact they've, they're without Moore and Bergvine. I mean, Lo is playing, you know, that's a, a pretty makeshift role for him there, isn't it? So it's it might not be that you're saying he's perfect, but it's the, the best option we have. I thought Spurs brought it on themselves in the early minutes of the second half. Chelsea, of course, came out reinvigorated. They survived, a, not a storm, but certainly a, a quite a tricky first half for them. But I think Spurs, pushed back by Chelsea, they made just horrible mistakes. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, the, the goals they conceded, uh, when you watch them back, are pretty terrible, as you say. You know, obviously conceding from a set piece when you've played that well for the first 52 minutes of a game is incredibly frustrating. The second goal, I mean, you're right. Uh, by, for me, both Hoiberg and Ndombele could have done more to get across Kante. And it's unfortunate that shot has hit Dyer because I'm not sure it might... He might actually just drag that slightly yeah. wide, maybe, if he doesn't hit that. No, I mean, uh, you know, I'm not suggesting Spurs should be ruining their luck after that, no. by the way. But it was a bit of a scrappy one. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, they're definitely preventable goals and it's not, not just about a tactical thing. I think it's about a mentality thing for both of those situations because they've switched off twice and conceded two goals in the space of, what, three or four minutes, I think it was. Uh, and then suddenly you're chasing a game, you know, a two-goal deficit to the European champions when you've got a half-fit team. And it's it's a pretty unenviable task, that, isn't it? No, it, 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 it was clear that Spurs probably had to score first to make a, a long-term project of that match. Once they conceded one, I'm not going to go into the soonest Roy Keane world where they just packed it in. They didn't just pack it in. I didn't, I didn't get it. I thought that was um, a massive overreaction. Charlie, what are you going to say? I think I, I'd feel it was more about individual mistakes and switching off if it hadn't felt so much like after the first few minutes of the second half that it was coming mm-hmm. just because of the, the way the, the way Chelsea came out was like wow they have switched on they are right bang at this and this is to use that analogy again this is a storm Spurs are going to have to get through this and when that happens I think it's more expected that you are going to score but through the sort of weight of pressure it wasn't like a 
they had a corner out of nothing and then finally got some pressure and Kante took a speculative shot. It felt like the culmination of some pressure that had been building, albeit for not that long, but it was the intensity of it. It was suddenly, you could feel the fear. Suddenly everyone around was thinking, right, okay, they I forgot how good they are. And I think as well, some people, myself included, made the mistake of thinking Kante for Mount, that's a defensive move. That that might hand uh, Spurs the initiative when in fact it did the exact opposite. It's that classic Roberto Mancini thing, isn't it? Of putting the defensive player on to free up the rest. Yeah, right? exactly. That's kind of the thinking, I guess. And that there lies my fear about this result and this performance. I don't know Nuno Espirito Santo. I know you two better. I've only just met you in the last few weeks. And the cynic in me, and it's deep, I'm going try and question everything. Will he now say, there you are, Spurs fans, there's your attacking team and there's your 3-0 home defeat, which he can then add to by saying, look at Chelsea. They put on another defensive player and improved. I hope he doesn't go that route because I know, I absolutely know that against perhaps less potent opponents than Chelsea are, that the team that were on the pitch in the first half will give Spurs a better chance of winning the game than the defensive teams he's put out in the previous couple of games. 100%. And that was the thrust of my piece after the game was that you know that's the mo- that has to be the model going forward because they did look far better than they have done basically throughout the rest of the season. I mean, it may just be words as well, but Nuno was definitely in agreement with that sentiment after the game. He made a real point of saying how well they played in the first half, came back to it um, as well. So hopefully, if he um, sticks to that sentiment, then we won't see a reversion, and it won't be as you say. And as I felt, you know, that the fear was that. You know, you point to that as saying, look, it doesn't work playing a more attacking way. He he made the point as well that, and again, fans can argue with this as much as they want, but the evidence does sort of support him. He said that the way they'd set up in the first few weeks, uh, he didn't explicitly say this, but that, you know, that more conservative midfield was a consequence of who was available. And to be fair to him, at that time, the Celso had just come back from the Copa America wasn't fully up to speed. You had Ndombele who was being exiled because he was trying to leave the club. So his options were limited. His point is that now that they're back, this is the way they're going to play. Whether that plays out, we'll have to see. But that was certainly um, the sentiment in his post-match press conference. There's something very deep behind this, isn't it? Particularly for people who are paying 70, 80 quid to watch a game or a vast amount of money to watch these these games on television. And it's simple. It's, it's pretty simple, isn't it? If you play pragmatic football and you win, Mourinho, other managers, um, maybe even Diego Simeone, and they are successful, then you can make the mental adjustment. We're playing pretty pragmatic football, but we're winning. If you play pragmatic football and you don't win, what are you, the paying fan, actually left with? That's the problem Nuno will have in terms of like winning over the fans in the sort of short to medium term. Uh, if he gets a medium term. Um, because at the moment, it doesn't feel like they're building towards anything. Like, like I, I've seen a few people tweet Pochettino's early results in his first season and they were along similar lines. I mean, he didn't win the first three games, but his first sort of six, seven games, he won three or four, lost three or four, drew a couple. It wasn't great. But it, it, in that instance, you could tell that they were trying to play a slightly different type of football. There was this like aggression in the pressing uh, there were more younger players in the team and it kind of felt like it was the start of a cycle. This was the bad bit before it got better. 
with this now with Spurs, to me, I, I don't see there being like some kind of vision for how they're going to, like how they're going to develop the style of play beyond what they've tried to do so far. And it feels like we're still on the downward curve of a cycle rather than having bottomed out and we're now on the way back up again. Like it feels to me like it's probably going to get worse before it gets better, basically. Thank you very much for that. But also, <laughs> the, when you give a manager a two-year contract, that also doesn't say a huge amount to the fans that this is a massive project. It, you know, it screams... I mean, stop gap's probably harsh, but you know, two years is is very short. We know that for for what managers. It given. was noticeable, Charlie, during the summer that when they got him, Harry Kane, who wanted out of the club, still had more time on his contract than the new manager had on his brand new <laughs> contract. It was absolutely noticeable, which takes me then. If, I mean, we'll talk more on later podcasts a bit about what Nuno is there for and what he hopes personally um, to to make it happen and how he can do it. Um, to the thorny issue of Harry Kane himself. Because I think for the very first time since Pochettino was forced to take Adebayor out of the team to replace him with this fresh-faced kid who'd been on loan at Orient and, and, and Leicester and Norwich, there's mutterings. He has a lot of credit in the bank with me. But what did you make of Kane's performance, demeanour, insofar as you can judge it? You were in the stadium. Uh, I mean, his performance really wasn't great. I mean, uh, I mean, you're right. You know, he, he obviously still has plenty of credit in the bank for what he's done over the last sort of five or six, seven years. But yeah, his, his I, I, and again, you know, you mentioned Roy Keane and, and Graham Soonis, and I don't want to kind of go down the road of trying to, you know, be a sort of uh, amateur body language analyst. Quite. But it didn't look great. I don't know. I kind of feel like when you're when you're a star player in a team like that, if you think of you know someone like Steven Gerrard at Liverpool or whoever, when he was obviously head and shoulders above the rest. What he would do is he would drive that team on, both in the way he approached the game on a sort of technical level, but also like in his body language and the way he kind of geared the other players up and whatever else. And Harry Kane is obviously a very different personality mm-hmm. to Steven Gerrard, fine. But I, I I think in this season where it feels like that they're going to need him to drag them on as much as they did last season, maybe even more. I, if he isn't in the right mindset to do that, then I'm not sure what this team is going to be because... You know, Son isn't really a leader in that way either. It, it, it worries me that basically whenever they play badly, they're going to they're going to lose quite feebly because Kane just doesn't look like at the moment he's got the hunger that he had before, which is possibly not a massive surprise given everything that we heard over the summer. But in terms of what that's actually going to mean for Spurs and, and possibly even what that's going to mean for him next season, if you know if he has a bad season and Manchester City are looking around for a striker and they say, well, there's Erling Haaland who scored another forty goals for Dortmund, or there's Harry Kane who scored. 15 goals for Spurs. I mean, which way are they going to go? Well, Haaland, judging by the world that Haaland got uh, one of his two goals for Dortmund, wow. Um, I know which way um, people would be going. I mean, the the, the technical thing, Charlie, he was talking about the way... I mean, it was obvious that uh, that Son was playing further up the pitch than than Harry Kane. People are now getting into the... uh, as, As they sometimes do with the England team, Harry, get in the blinking penalty area. Now, is it as simple as that? Well, I think, um, you know, we saw last season how well it worked with playing with Kane playing in a deeper role. But that is dependent, like I was saying before, on having mm-hmm. a Son and also a Moore or a Bergwijn. It, that's not going to work if he's dropping deep and there aren't runners b- b- beyond him because then he's almost playing like a kind of <laughs> central midfielder and just playing square passes and that sort of thing. So I think that is... That's an important tweak that's needed, and you'd hope that the you know the fact there wasn't that player is because really without Moran Bergvain, there isn't that player. I mean, Hill is tricky, but he's not you know he doesn't have the searing pace that those two have. You don't want Hill going through one on one, do you? I don't think. Oh, I'd settle for anyone going through one on one. That is true. Yeah. 
a, a big chance would be nice. But also, James, I mean, you were saying something earlier that was interesting that fans were sort of getting at him at the stadium, which is obviously is, is pretty unusual, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't like, you know, <laughs> probably not the kind of stick that Adebayor got six or seven years ago, as Danny was alluding to before, but there uh, were definite grumbles. There's a point towards the end of the game, I suspect it was 2-0, where Spurs were making a rare by that, say, foray forward. And the ball came to Kane and he kind of tried to volley a pass forward, I think probably to Hill, and got it completely wrong. And the Chelsea defender kind of picked it up quite easily. And then Chelsea, you know, went forward on a counter-attack again. Uh, I mean, there were definite... There were definite grumbles then. You know, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Aside from anything else, Spurs don't have another centre forward to put in the team in his place, so they can't they can't drop it. No, why would they? Why would they? Um, just on a purely, um, I don't know how whether this Nuno has stats for this or whether it ever gets onto a clipboard or a, an iPad. The other thing I can't stand about him playing outside the penalty area quite as much as he's doing is it's it's obvious. It was obvious at Crystal Palace, a little bit less so yesterday, but still. Once he's outside the penalty area, everybody has a go at his ankles because mm, it's a good, yeah. there's a there's a ten percent chance you'll put him out of the game. Um, mm. And whereas if you do that in the penalty area, you risk a penalty. The worst you're risking outside of it is is a yellow card and a free kick to Spurs, which he Harry will personally blaze <laughs> over the bar. <laughs> um, and so I remember in the first show, people want me to put sell this on eBay for charity. I, I'll save it for the rest. I drew this picture of Harry Kane's ankle because I still think it's very important to them. But I mean. Uh, that's a parochial thought, but it, it strikes me all the time. And you can see defenders and midfielders just going, I, I can, I can, they know, they're professional footballers, they know what they're doing. Um, I'll make this tackle through his ankle. And the number of times you see him in a crumpled heap outside the penalty area now. Well, and also you worry with the directives to let it flow. I mean, mm-hmm. there was one at Palace, which actually led to a chance for them where he was taken out from behind in one of those tackles that he goes down and mm-hmm. y- you're used to that almost always being given as a free kick. And isn't uh, it wasn't last week? So, with the reduced protection, is that even more of a concern? But I mean, I do think with him, we have known him to start tournaments or start seasons early. I mean, there was that whole meme, wasn't there, about he doesn't score in August and he, he hasn't had a, anything like a full preseason. Whose fault is that? I know, <laughs> but I mean, it's it, it does look like it. And lest we forget the Euros, he got there eventually. But remember, the whole chat for the group stage was about. Kane's not playing well should Kane be playing all of this sort of thing I mean he's and and actually at that time I did a piece looking at how he's done after having a, a little drought and often you know it then leads to a glut of goals and it was quite interesting reading the quotes uh at the various points in which he's had mini droughts you know by his standards and and you know it's it's many of the same things you hear today less so about the positions I suppose because he, he you know he wasn't dropping so deep then but you know he's always been questioned and criticise whenever he hasn't scored for a few games I I guess the problem for him is now and as you say he drops off so deep now and he's very rarely in the box that one isn't going to go in off his arse because he's never in the penalty area to have one go in off his he can't score one off his arse from 35 yards unless you're Eden Hazard that's just not well that's true that's true that that is that is I mean on a serious level that is a problem that he'll have he won't he won't get those kind of tap-ins as often now because of the way Mm. he's trying to play and that, in all seriousness, too early to kind of worry about him having a bad season, probably. But if he didn't score in September and we go into October and then halfway through October and he's still, you know, they go away on that international break a week into October and he still hasn't scored a goal in the Premier League, then it, it surely it plays on your mind after that. And then that's when you do need one to, you know, one to go in off your ass. And I, I'm not sure he's going to be as well placed to get that. But can you imagine a conversation 
and that's a conversation I think that needs having, where Nuno Espirito Santo tries to tell Harry Kane, with his status in the game, how to play. I mean, I don't think he's... Nuno's not a complete novice. I mean, we're not no. we're not talking about a kind of Ryan Mason situation. No, that's... Well, actually, Ryan could actually say, mate, listen, let's have a word. You yeah, know? I mean, he... <laughs> yeah. For all yeah. the good that did him. Yeah, yeah. Nuno's standing in the game is, is pretty high. He is well-respected, certainly as a coach, from a coaching perspective. But I see your point. I mean, and look, as much as everyone takes pops at Jose Mourinho, Jose Mourinho did very well with Harry Kane. There's no getting away from that. Kane really enjoyed working with him and his numbers were staggering. And I think since Mourinho left, uh, Kane has scored three and 12 for Spurs or something like that. Yeah, but Spurs are producing one shot on target in, in, sure. in per half, aren't they? When Spurs won their first three game, we had a lovely conversation about well, could they break into the top four? So I think it's beholden, and this is even before we get to talk about <clears throat> Arsenal, it's beholden on us to say, now, it looks to me that they'll do well to finish in the top eight. They're a mid-table team. That all comes down to Kane for me. If, if Kane if Kane turns up and starts scoring goals and scores 20 goals, which he's obviously more than capable of doing, if he, get, if he gets his head right, he gets into the rhythm, suddenly he's got the appetite back, he starts, you know, I, I know there's no better place for him to score, by the way, the first one than Arsenal. I think we did actually mention this over the summer, that that Arsenal game was round about the point in the season that that could happen. Then suddenly it all starts to look very different. But they, that, that's that's my point that I was making before. This Spurs team without Harry Kane will be absolutely nothing. They, it, it is absolutely imperative that that he finds form. Otherwise, they will, as you say, they will finish ninth, tenth, eleventh. I have absolutely no doubt of that. And and him scoring 20, 25 goals could be the difference between them finishing sixth and tenth, eleventh. I mean, really, you look outside that top four, and I don't think there's anyone who's made a big statement in these first five games, especially. I mean, you know, someone like Leicester, who uh, were fifth last season, they're struggling pretty badly. West Ham, yeah, they look all right. I mean, you know, yeah, I, I don't think there's anyone that you're saying, you know, there's no reason why Spurs shouldn't be finishing, you know, obviously in an ideal world top four, but if they're not in that, then just outside it and at least getting back into the Europa League. There's a real much of muchness. And if you look at the first five games in isolation, it's funny because it's gone on such highs because of the way the fixtures of the, the order of them. But actually, they're probably about where you'd have said you'd have thought. I mean, isn't nine points... They'd lost to City rather than Palace and won those other three games and you'd kind of be saying, well, you know, we're kind of yeah. holding under okay. It's not Exactly. Like the, the, They've lost two games to the teams who contested the Champions League final last season. Along with Bayern Munich, they're probably the three best football teams on the planet. Yeah. yeah so, yeah, yeah. so they're basically par... But obviously, it's just yeah. the way it's panned out feels like they're suddenly on a downward. But you can't completely ignore that. That's the thing. You, the momentum is it is everything. It's crucial. And we'll talk about the Arsenal game in a second briefly. I have my fears about how that game is going to go and where Spurs are going to end up in the table afterwards. And then suddenly it will, if it doesn't already, then it will really, really feel like a crisis. I, I, I know that sounds insane after six games, but I, that's where we'll be. You said three podcasts ago that the, the way we feel at the end of September will depend on the result in North London against Arsenal. And let's be fair, a couple of weeks ago, two fixtures ago, Spurs were top and Arsenal were bottom. If Arsenal win at the weekend, uh, they'll probably go above Spurs. Let's, uh, let's they win by two. Yeah, they'll go above Spurs. Well, let's well the way Spurs, Spurs don't lose by one, do they? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. <laughs> let's let's talk about that very briefly next here on the view from the lane. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven US based live customer service from Discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Look, just a few more seconds left here on The View from Lane with uh, myself, Danny Kelly, and Charlie Extra, and James Moore. I got that wrong earlier on. It was absolutely appalling. Um, <laughs> Embarrassing. Um, James was kicking off. Listen, yeah, listen, oh, was. The tables were turned over. It was terrible. Um, <laughs> listen, there is, uh, of course, the game is global now and everybody watches everything. If you want a bit of light, a ray of light in the gloom before the game in, in North London, it was that those of us who would like to have seen Pochettino come back, um, Paris Saint-Germain's performance against Lyon wasn't great, but they won. But the look on Lionel Messi's face when he got substituted, <laughs> he was staring death, hate, rictus of loathing at the former Spurs manager. And let's be fair, if it comes to a straight battle between Messi and Poch, I have a suspicion it'll be the Argentinian, sorry, the still playing Argentinian who <laughs> wins. So maybe if Nuno gets fed up with trying to make silk purses out of Sal's ears, Poch will be available on the market. But what I want to talk particularly, this game means a lot to me. I was born within the shadow of Highbury. Um, uh, my family all support the Arsenal. I'm very proud as Lingtonian. The lady wife, until we moved to Ireland, was a season ticket over there. Everybody I know and care about supports Arsenal. And for 20, well, nearly 20 years of the Wenger reign, twice a season, I would bend over in the corner of the living room and they would take turns to kick my ass. But I don't need that. And <laughs> the last few years with the cancelling of St. Totteringham's Day and all the rest of it, you'd think it would have made me feel better, James. But it hasn't made me feel better. I still feel the same sense of oncoming dread about this fixture. It's just perfect, isn't it? As you say, two games ago, Spurs were free for free and Arsenal had no points on the board. But you kind of knew that, oh, uh, you know, it could swing completely the other way around and you just wanted Spurs to get one point in those other two matches to uh, make sure that was mathematically impossible. But unfortunately, they've not managed it. So, yeah, lo and behold, a 2-0 defeat of the Emirates on Sunday will mean Arsenal are above Spurs in the league. Are you scared? Yeah, but the the really annoying thing is that, and this is to to Arsenal's credit, they do always get themselves up for this game, always, and in, in a way that I don't think Spurs always do. I mean, you, usually at home, the the kind of crowd will, will kind of drive them on, and they'll they'll put it in. And you know, in that area you're talking about, where Arsenal were demonstrably much much better than Spurs, they did at least get they didn't win a game, but they'd get the odd draw when they probably didn't really deserve it. But yeah, since the balance, is, uh, the balance of power has swung and Spurs have, have been the better team, Arsenal just seem to have just managed to kind of keep their eye in. And, you know, obviously they beat, they beat us last season. They beat us the year before, I think, as well. year before was t- was a draw. The year before that was the 4-2. The 4-2, yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, they, they kind of managed to kind of 
keep, keep myself ticking over in the derby matches. And, and I absolutely guarantee they'll be up for it again on the open. But for the reasons of a momentum shift that we've just talked about, that, that'll be their main, uh, main incentive, won't it? They'll win a one, want to win the game by two goals. And sadly, I sense they probably have quite a good chance of doing it. Well, we'll preview the game more thoroughly on Thursday in the next edition of The View from the Lane. But uh, Charlie, as a, uh, uh, an involved, because you report so beautifully in The Athletic about Spurs, but um, not kind of DNA involved like myself and James, does it, does it make you feel sad to watch two grown men living in utter fear and terror? Well, the thing is, I've always felt this with the North London derby, that N could stand for neurotic. I mean, it is the most neurotic derby. Like, there, there is no trash talking before. It's actually the opposite, where you've got Arsenal fans saying, we're going to lose. Of course, we're going to lose. Spurs fans, no, no, we're going to lose. We're worse. We're going to lose. And even in that period you talk about, the you know, the Wenger days of dominance, Arsenal fans would still go into that game. Like, one, yeah, if and when it was won, then yes, of course, there's a lot of piss taking. But actually, before, there was, even then, quite a lot of fretting still. Um and maybe that's true of all derbies. It probably is because there's just so much at stake that you can never really enjoy them. But I mean, I was, I was talking about this with James before and how... So if they win by two, if they win 2-0, they go ahead. And that would be on goals scored. And that would be by dint of having scored four to Tottenham's three after six games of the season. Like if anything says how far these two clubs have fallen... It's that that's the way they're being separated. Um, and look, if you were speak, you know, every Arsenal fan is similarly fearful of that weekend's game. And and to be fair, at this point, with some, you know, there's some logic there because Arsenal have been pretty ropey this season and for the last few years. To use an old music hall phrase, um, yes, at the way the two teams are currently configured, it is two bald men fighting over a comb, isn't it? Um, but, <laughs> but, it but it seems to be a very important comb. And I loved the uh, neurotic London derby. And it's that for me from now on. Thank you for steering me through the emotional trauma of that Chelsea defeat. Um, hopefully we're not repeating this process uh, the following Monday. And we'll preview that game against Arsenal, which is, there's no logical reason to it. But it's a huge game for both clubs. And we'll be back to talk about that on Thursday. Um, and if uh, you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, don't forget you can read all of Charlie and Jack's articles on Spurs, including a tribute to Jimmy Greaves, by going to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. And right now you can sign up with a 33% discount on a full subscription. We'll be back on Thursday. Thank you all for listening. The Athletic.